There are so many different speaking appointments I've had over the last six months that have just been canceled because of the COVID-19. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of it. Amen? Are you tired of it? I, I'm really tired of COVID-19. I can't wait till we can get back and do what we need to do. Now, this isn't the worst pandemic that's ever hit our world. In the, in the third century, the uh, pandemic or the plague of Cyprian hit and killed 5,000 people a day for 13 years. It was an amazingly virulent type of pandemic. And then you move into the Middle Ages and you have the Black Death that killed one-third of the world's population. And, and closer to home, in 1918 to 1920, we had the, uh, the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu infected 500 million people worldwide, killed 50 million. We haven't had anything like that. However, this is ours. We didn't get in those. We're, this is, and I'll tell you, I'm tired of going through it. I've already had COVID-19. I got over it last week. And uh, for me, it was really a remarkable thing. All I did was lose my sense of smell. I didn't lose my sense of taste at all except for green beans. And I don't know why green beans. But uh, I could never taste green beans. They tasted sort of like modeling clay. It was really odd. But, uh, but other than that, I didn't have any kind of congestion, didn't have any kind of fever uh, or anything else. I wouldn't have known except that they told me I had it. And so uh, that's what went through. But I'm glad you're here. And I, and I want to tell you that I'm looking at the way we're reacting to COVID-19 and looking at the way individuals are reacting to COVID-19. And I see among those who don't have a huge amount of faith in God that fear is overwhelming to some people when it comes to how they react to COVID-19. They look at it and say, this is the worst, the terrible thing, and they're, and they're running scared every day. And I think you have to be cautious, and, I, and certainly I want you to be cautious. But I want to tell you that uh, there are some things to fear a whole lot worse than COVID-19. There are some things in our world that are a lot worse than COVID-19 that we don't even bat an eye at. And particularly moral issues that I see around us, the fact that each one of us are heading every heartbeat one step closer toward the eternity where we will face God. And there are people who seem to me to be frightened of COVID-19 who are not frightened at all of the day that they'll stand before God in judgment because they don't really think it's going to happen. I want to talk to us this morning about how we face our life, how we look at life itself. I see people who are living their lives in, in despair. I, I see sometimes members of the church who are living their lives in despair who were saying, look, Look at what's happening in the church and look at what's happening in our world and we're losing our sense of values in our world. Things are going apart and, and, and we're living in a terrible time. How awful is the time that we live in? I want to tell you something that I really believe. I believe that this is the best time in the history of the world to be a child of God. I believe there's never been a better time. And here's the reason I believe it. God put us here. He had a reason for us being here. And somebody says, but it's a really dark world. That's where the light shines brightest. In the middle of a dark world is where light is needed and where you're needed and I'm needed. God's given us a mission in this time that's going to be magnificent. What he's doing now is something similar to what he was doing in the first century. Our, our generation, particularly in America, is closer to the generation of the Roman Empire than in any other part of our history. And look how the church grew in the first century. The church can grow that way in this one. COVID-19, for all that it's been bad in so many different ways, has been good for us. It's been good for us because it reminds us of the value of family. 
It's been good to us because it's reminded us of the value of relationships and communication, and we're learning new and better ways to communicate with one another, even in the days where we might not be able to see each other face to face. We are finding the value of outreach and actually looking at outreach from a different perspective than we have before because we've had to reinvent things. Maybe reinvent things to bring us closer to the kind of organic outreach that I think the first century church had. We are having a revival among us, even in these days where so many of us are confined and unable to get out. I'm so thankful for that. This is a wonderful time. Somebody says, but oh, it's really terrible. Listen to Psalm 84, verse 11. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord God gives grace and glory. And no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God says, if it's good, I will give it to you. If it's bad, I will keep it from you. But I will not withhold one good thing from those who walk uprightly. God is blessing us in these moments. What I want to do is to move away from this idea that somehow we're victimized by our world, victimized by COVID-19, and what in the world are we going to do? Tonight at Creve Hall, I'm going to be talking about what can the righteous do when he says, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Because that was said by somebody besides David, who said, look, there's not anything you can do. Everything is falling apart. The world is falling apart. And what in the world can we do? And David spends the rest of the psalm saying, this is what you can do. This is what you can do. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul said something incredibly significant. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I hear people saying, but I, I just think everything is so bad. Things are going so bad. The economy is bad. This is bad. Uh, the church is going through different changes. Everything, it really kind of makes me upset. And I'm not... I'm not a person who gets upset easily. I've got to tell you, I'm normally just a really nice guy. If you're around me, you'd like me, I promise. Just, but, but I get a little upset when people say, what are we going to do? Because God's already answered that. Things are not falling apart. All things work together for good. Listen to it. Believe it. That's the same thing as he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Believe it. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now read the rest of that chapter with me for just a moment. For whom he foreknew, these he also foreordained to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he foreordained, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also together with him freely give us all things? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who, rose from the, who, who died, who also rose from the dead, who's also at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Even it is as written, we, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, you know what I think about the times, and you think about the times that he's in. 
distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril. For your sake we're killed all the day long. And what do I say to that? We're winning. We are winning in all these things. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And they were, and we are too. You and I are too. We have the blessing of God on our lives, and we are conquering in our time. That's what God says about us. That's where He says that we are. We're worried about whether we can make the house payment, and God says, you know what? All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Christ, life, or Cephas, life, death, things present, things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. He says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, you own the world, guys. And you're worried sick about whether or not you can make the house payment. You're worried about whether you can make that cash register balance out, and he says, the whole business is yours. All things are yours. So where did we get this victim mentality? Oh, I'm just, I don't know that I can say a whole lot because if you tell people in this world that you're for Christian principles, uh, they're going to think you're terrible. And I just, I really don't know if I can do that. What in the world's going to happen to us? I just hope all of those, all of those people I work with don't turn me away from Christ. I just hope that all those folks I go to school with don't take away all of my purity. I just hope, where did we get that mentality? In all these things, it's not a matter, listen guys, it's not a matter of how long is it going to be before all those heathens that you work with are going to take your religion away. It's how long will it be till every one of those people that I work with have the opportunity to see the love of God and the gospel of Christ, and God put me there for that. It's not a matter of whether or not that school is going to take away my purity. How long will it be before everybody in that school has been infected with righteousness? My job is to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's why I'm there. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. Where do we get that victim mentality? Can I just give you maybe a couple of scriptures, and that's all I'm going to do this morning, is a couple of scriptures that I think will help us get back to where we need to be and understand how we got where we are. Turn over to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and start in verse 14. Jesus is in the middle of telling some stories here, but he has stories about the judgment and the kingdom. And he says, it's like a man who's taking a journey into a far country and he calls to himself his servants and he delivers to them his goods, each according to his individual ability. And to one man he gives five talents, to another man two, and to another man one, and immediately went on his journey. Now he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. Likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and made a reckoning with them. And he who had received the five talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five other talents besides them. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Likewise, he who had received the two said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two other talents besides them. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. But he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you hadn't sown and gathering where you hadn't scattered seed. And I was afraid and hid your money in the ground. See, you have what is yours. The master said, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I reaped where I hadn't sown and gathered where I hadn't scattered seed. 
And if you have the King James, it says you could have at least, as though putting your money in the bank is the least thing you can do, you could have at least put my money with the bankers, that at my coming I would have received my own with interest. But now take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me tell that story to you in my own, uh, I don't know if you call this a paraphrase or perversion, but I'm just, I'm just going to tell you the story again in my own words, if you'll let me do that. There's a, there's a fellow that, that is very wealthy, and he's getting ready to take a journey into a long, a long way. He's going to be gone for an indefinite period of time. So he calls his servants. He says, boys, come on in. I'm going to give you what I know you can handle. And so he gives Joseph five talents. And he gives Obadiah two talents. And he gives George one. Now, I used to think I relate to George real well. I grew up listening to my daddy preach and thinking, man, if I could just be half of what he is, I would love. But I, I was always the one talent guy. That's what I thought. And, and I thought, here's George over here going, man, look at that. Look at that. Joseph, uh, look at that. He gets five talents. I'm always getting the short end of the stick. Obadiah, he gets two. And, and here I am just stuck with one. George, the one talent guy. Kind of scuffing his toe in the ground and saying, I didn't, I didn't get what the rest of them got. It's not what he's doing at all not what he's doing at all you know how much a talent is a talent is 75 pounds of gold have you ever thought about how much gold is worth right now how many thousand dollars an ounce i think gold is worth right now and then you multiply that times 15 and then multiply that times 75 because there's 15 ounces in a sterling pound but multiply that times 15 and then multiply that times 75 think about how much money the man had he had a fortune he's not saying oh man I can't believe it. I just didn't get very much. What he's saying is, 75 pounds of gold, I can hardly pick it up. You know how much this stuff is worth? I've never had this much money in my life. I can't believe it. I, I, I can't believe it. And then all of a sudden he starts thinking, but what if I lose it? I mean, he, he gave it to me to use it, so I, didn't, I can't afford to lose this. Now, now there's, there's Joseph over there. And, and he's investing in Firestone Jerusalem Chariot Wheel Company. And, and they've had some quality control issues, and I'm not really sure how that's going to work out. Uh, he could lose it. That, that's a risky investment. And Obadiah, he just bought some apartments on the West Bank. Man, that's going to get him in some trouble. I, I bet he's not going to do really well. And so he made a brilliant executive decision. In the middle of the night, he goes out into his backyard with the 75 pounds of gold on his shovel. He digs a hole, he drops it in, he covers it up, he sprinkles some leaves on top of it in hopes that nobody noticed. Walks back in the house. Now the master's gone a long time. And every once in a while he gets to thinking about that 75 pounds of gold and he thinks, you know, I wonder, I wonder if I forgot where I put it. You know, it's all that grass has grown back now and I'm not really sure if I know it. I'd better go. And so about midnight he goes back out and he digs it up and sure enough it's still there. He covers it up and whew, I haven't lost it. And the master still hasn't come back, and he's thinking, you know, what if a neighbor saw me? I've done this twice now. Somebody could have been looking out their back window and seen me. I'd better go check. And he goes back, and he checks, and, and it's still there. And, and, and later on, he thinks, you know, I've, I've dug that thing up three times. Sometimes animals will dig around where there's been freshly dug earth. What if one of them grabbed it and just dragged it off? i better go check. In the middle of the night, he goes, and he checks again. And it's still there. Oh, it's still there. And then one day, he gets the word. The master's home. And he's thinking, wow, I better go check again. 
And he checks, and sure enough, it's there. He picks it up, he drags it in, and he flops it in front of the master. And he says, you're not going to believe this. He said, I was afraid I was going to lose it. I was afraid it would get stolen. I was afraid an animal would take it away. I was even afraid I would forget where I put it. But here it is, every bit of it, all 75 pounds of it. It's right here, Lord. And the master says, you wicked, lazy servant. Now, if you were from South Alabama, your response to that would be, say what? What do you mean, Lord? Didn't you give me 75 pounds of gold? Yeah. Didn't I give you 75 pounds of gold back? Absolutely. Then what's your problem? You didn't lose a thing. I gave you everything you gave me. He said, did you really think that that's what I wanted? Did you really think that I wanted you to sit on what I gave you so that I would get back exactly what I gave you? He said you could have put it at the bank and you'd at least got interest. He said you could have invested it in any number of ways, but did you ever think I'd be satisfied getting back just what I gave you? I'm not. Cast this unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I am concerned that there are way too many of us who are burying our talents in the sand and thinking, what I want to do is hold on and stay faithful so that one of these days I'll be able to get to heaven. And we're going to run into a similar situation where the master says, did you think that's why I saved you? Do you really think that I saved you just so you would get here? Did you think that's what I had in mind for you? If that's what I had in mind for you, I'd have killed you the moment that you were baptized. You'll never be safer than that. Right as you come out of the water, just boom, and there you are, go straight to heaven. But that wasn't why I saved you. I saved you to do something. I saved you to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. I saved you to bring my message to every creature under heaven. I saved you to be someone who changes someone else's life. I had work for you to do. Did you really think that that's what it was all about? Coming to church on Sunday morning, sitting on a padded pew, singing a cappella, taking the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? Did you really think that's all I wanted? That's what I gave you. Now what did you do with it? Yes, I wanted you to meet on Sunday. And yes, I wanted you to worship together. And yes, I wanted you to sing a cappella. And yes... I wanted you to take the Lord's Supper. I wanted you to do all of those things. But I wanted you to do something with them. And what I wanted you to do with them is save the world. Where did you forget to do that? To love your neighbor as yourself. When did you forget to do that? That's what I wanted. I wanted you to accomplish something in my name. Not just bury your talent in the sand. I will never ever be satisfied getting back just what I gave you? Had the man who had the one talent used it, had George used it, even if he'd have lost, if he'd invested, do you think that the master would have been upset? At least you tried. We're living in a generation where he says, I want you to try. I want you to reach out. I want you to dream a little bigger. I want you to reach a little further. That's what I want for you. And why did George have that attitude? Why did he say, I was afraid and I hid your money in the ground? By the way, if you're living your life in fear, fear of going to hell or fear of failure, you're never going to accomplish very much in your life. There's always fear that's there, but you can't take the counsel of your fears. You take the counsel of your faith. When you have a decision to make in life, never, ever, ever make that decision based on what you're afraid of. Make that decision based on what you believe in. 
And when you do, you're going to find out that God will bless you. He always blesses faith. Make it in faith. It's amazing what God can do. So where did George get this attitude? Where did he get this attitude, I'm afraid, and I'm going to hide my talent in the ground? Well, maybe it's because he didn't have a lot of faith in himself. You know, I'm not very much. I'm just not very much. I can't speak like brother so-and-so. I can't cook like sister so-and-so. I can't reach out to people like these folks do. I don't have that kind of personality. I'm a little bit introverted. I'm just not very much at all. I can't accomplish a whole lot. In, in the words, I think about that illustration of Paul talking about the different parts of the body. And they say, well, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just a little toe. That's all I am. Everybody else might be something really good, but I'm just a little toe. And so I'm not very much. Where did, you, where did we get the attitude we're not very much? There's a song we sing every once in a while. It kind of irritates me. It says, for such a worm as I... You're not a worm. You are a child of God. You're a person for whom Christ died. You're a soldier in the army of Lord Sabaoth. You are a living stone in the living temple of God. That's who you are. You are a child of God, a brother or sister of Jesus Christ. You can do whatever it is that God wants you to do in your generation. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I want you to have some faith in who God made you to be. You are His beloved, blessed, and empowered child. That's who you are. Nobody else in the world that's not a child of God has what you have. I, I just want you to know who you are. So have some faith in who you are, who God made you to be. And secondly, I would say, have some faith in God all by himself. Believe in what God can do all by himself. He spoke and the worlds came into existence. He split the waters of the Red Sea for Moses, knocked down the walls of Jericho for Joshua. He healed the sick, raised the dead, made the blind to see and the lame to walk. And he's the same God right now. God can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, because he's God. And there's nobody to tell him no. There aren't two all-powerful forces in the universe, one all-powerful evil and one all-powerful good. There's only one all-powerful being at all, and his name is God. He's Jehovah, Yahweh, that's who he is. And whenever Satan comes in conflict with God, every single time, Satan loses. He doesn't even come close because there's no way he has the power, even close to the power that God has. Our God can do anything, and he's our God. Somebody says, I thought the age of miracles is over. The age of God doing miracles through people is over. God can do whatever he wants to do every day, any day, right now, in this time. He's our God. Have some faith in what God can do all by himself. And you're held in his arms. Maybe another way, reason that we do this. Turn over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And I've got to quit here. But uh, I'm, I'm about, that was introduction. We'll get to the rest of it. But uh, in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, Truly I tell you that he who does not enter in by the door of the sheep, but climbs up some of the way, is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and he goes and calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them out, he goes before them and they follow him, for they know his voice. Yet indeed they will not follow the voice of a stranger, because they do not know the voice of strangers. Just let me, again, tell you that story for a second. Here's some sheep 
in every village, there were a number of shepherds. They all had uh, sheep, but they had to sleep sometime. And they had to go home and see their family sometime. So what do they do? Well, they built an enclosure called a sheepfold, and everybody would bring their sheep. And so all the different flocks would come into the same place, and you would have a hireling or a, or a doorkeeper that you would hire to stay up all night while you went home to visit with your family. Now, in the morning, when you came back, how do you know your sheep from everybody else's? They weren't branded. They didn't have tags in their ears. So how did you know your sheep from everybody else? The shepherd knew his sheep intimately, and he had them all named. And he would walk in, and he would call them all by name. I don't know what you call sheep, but if I were a shepherd, Fluffy, Muffy, Ruffy, Buffy, Tuffy, Scruffy, I don't know. Those just sound like good sheep names to me. And he would call them, and, and their ears would prick up, and they would say, that's my master. When I, was, when I was hungry, he fed me. When the lion came, he fought it back. And when I was lost, he came and got me. And so when the shepherd goes out, the sheep follow him. Somebody says, well, if I just get the name of your sheep and pay off the doorkeeper, then I can do it. And so I'll just call their names, and you can call all their names you want, and they're not going to follow you. You know why? They're going to go over to the other side of the sheepfold and talk to the other sheep about whatever sheep talk about, but they're not going to come to you. You know why? Because they don't know your voice. They don't know your voice. Jesus says in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no man shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The difference between being a victim and being a victor is the voice you're listening to. Are you listening to the voice of the news more than you're listening to the voice of God? Are you listening to the voice of your peers more than you're listening to the voice of God? Are you listening to the voice of your fears more than you're listening to the voice of God. The difference between success and failure in life is whose voice you're listening to. Are you listening to his voice? When I was a kid, my mother was, was an interesting person. She grew up in the Depression, and she was the daughter of a tenant farmer, and she learned how to be frugal. And that is a very vast understatement to say that my mother was frugal. She could pinch a penny enough that Abraham Lincoln would scream. She, she knew how to save money, and she stored things away and everything else. And as a result of that, we had a really interesting growing up time when it came to being sick. My mother didn't want to spend money. Now, I will just give you one other example of this. My dad had uh, a seizure one day. I was in the office at Creve Hall, and my mother called. They were on the farm. And she said, uh, you got to come down here right now. Your dad's had a seizure, and I can't get him. I said, Mom... It's going to take me almost an hour to get there. You need to call 911. She said, no, that costs money. And, and so I said, well, I'm on my way, but call 911. I got down there, and he had waked up by that time. And, uh, and my, I said, did you not call 911? She said, no, that costs money. That was just my mother. She didn't want to spend money. And so my mother, when we would grow up, and I was sick, or any one of us was sick, she had a philosophy about that. And that is, that if you're sick, you're either going to die are you going to get well? So why put the doctor in the middle of all that? Just, the doctor cost money. We didn't go. We just either got well or died. That was the way it was supposed to be. She didn't like spending money, okay? But, she, but I was my mama's favorite, so she would sometimes send me and my dad, who hated being at the doctor as bad as I did, over to get uh, fixed up. And I would go into the doctor's office. We would sit down and read 10-year-old highlights magazines until... Finally, somebody called us back to a little room where you sat on an electrically cool table. 
And there was just some paper across the top of that table to crinkle and make you more uncomfortable. The doctor would come in and he would do a number of things. He would take a used popsicle stick and he would put it down my throat until I gagged. I found out early, if he gagged early, he quit. And he would put something around my arm and pump it up until my hand went kabunk, kabunk, kabunk. He would put something in my, in my mouth and keep it there for a little bit and take it out and look at it and go, uh-huh, uh-huh. I never knew why he did that, but that's what he did. And, and, and then he would say, well, you're sick, son. And I would think, of course I am. I would not be here otherwise. And he would say, and it's going to take penicillin. Now, when I was a kid... There was no such thing as oral penicillin. There was only one way to get it, and that was through a needle in a very compromising position. And, uh, and he would say, I'll have the nurse come in and take care of you. Now, you've got to remember, I'm talking from the standpoint of a person who's preschool here. But uh, I didn't have a clue why it took the nurse so long to get in. My, my philosophy was that the doctor walked out, and the nurse was just leaning up against the wall, filing her nails, doing nothing. And the doctor said, give him about five minutes, let him work up a good sweat, and then nail that boy. Now, I don't know that that's what actually happened, but my imagination would work on me, and, and it would eventually get to a point where, you know, I would see her kicking open the door with her combat boots. She's balancing the needle on her shoulder. She had the audacity to lie through her teeth and say, this won't hurt a bit. And I can remember thinking, if I can get my pants up, I'm going to run around her, and I will never be sick again. And about the time I was getting to make a break for it, my dad would say, it's okay, Bill. It's okay. And all of a sudden, it was okay. Not because, not because I liked the needle any better. But my dad said it was okay. And I trusted my dad's voice. I trusted him. No matter what he told me, I believed my dad could do anything. He was the biggest, the strongest, the bravest. And he could beat your daddy up, even though I never even saw him fight. Because he was my daddy, and he was the best. And if he said it was okay, it was okay. Here's the thing. We're living in the 21st century. There's clouds gathering around us in all kinds of ways. And God, in the middle of that, said, it's okay. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It is okay. Trust me. Whose voice are you listening to? People who've listened to the voice of God have done amazing things. You know, and, they, and they lived with such great courage. Samson didn't pick up the jawbone of a donkey and say, look, I see a thin line of Philistines right there. I think I can outrun all of them. He says, I've got you guys surrounded. Nobody's getting out if you're alive. And with the jawbone of a donkey, he kills a thousand people. Jonathan and his armor bearer at the bottom of the mountain and the Philistine garrison is at the top. And he doesn't tell his armor bearer, maybe after dark we can sneak over and get away. He says to those guys, kiss your mamas goodbye, we're coming up. And he and his armor bearer start killing everybody in the garrison. David walks down into the valley with five smooth stones. And he walks down to a giant who's over nine feet tall. And he says, not, oh boy, I just hope I can get out of here with all of my head on all of my shoulders. He doesn't do that. He says to Goliath, he says, listen, you're dust, buddy. I'm coming down here in the name of God, and you won't survive. I'm going to take your head off your shoulders with your own sword. And he does. The children of Israel are looking in at the land of promise. The walls of Jericho have just fallen flat. There's a soldier from Jericho who has an Israelite sword to his throat. 
And he looks up and he says, who are you guys? And the soldier says, we are the children of God. We are the army of the Lord. And we cannot be defeated. And they won. You are the child of God. You are the army of the Lord. And you cannot be defeated. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves. Let's have a prayer for just a moment. Father, we thank you for the promises that you've made to us and for the presence you have with us in this moment. We thank you that you've blessed us, not only with your presence, but with your power. And we ask that in that power, we might go forth conquering and to conquer as you have sought for us to do. Help us to be the light. Help us to be the salt. Help us to be the army you want us to be. And help us never to apologize for who we are or who you are. And Father, when we lift our eyes from this prayer, we ask that we may no longer see ourselves as victims, but as conquerors in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. And it may be that there's somebody here who needs to be a part of the army of God. Maybe you haven't yet. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, will you turn away from sin and confess him before men and be baptized for the remission of sins? Somebody says, well, you guys from the Church of Christ are always talking about baptism. Well, only because Jesus did, that's why. But let me, let me just say that Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. There are preachers, theologians, and psychologists who say that makes no sense. And so I'd like to take all the preachers and philosophers and theologians and psychologists in the world and put them over here and put Jesus over here and ask you who you'd like to believe. Because there's only one of these that died for your sins. There's only one who sits at the right hand of God and makes intercession for you. Only one. I'll take Jesus. Every time, I'll take Jesus. If you need to be baptized, or if you need to come and ask for prayer, why don't you do that now while we stand and sing?